and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you another episode with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And this episode that you're listening to right now is one of two amazing episodes that have dropped today. This one is with the fantastic Slim Cessna of Slim Cessna's Auto Club. There's also an incredible one with Lisa Kakaula of the Bell Rays that is not to be missed. Both of them have dropped today. Check them both out because they're both in celebration of a tour that the Bell Rays and Slim Cessna's Auto Club have announced. And now I guess at this point I should probably address the elephant in the room that we are all dealing with right now, which is, um, well, we don't even need to talk about it right now. I want this to be a place where you can kind of come and listen to podcasts and 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 we're going to just talk about music and it'd be a place where... You know, you can hopefully unplug for a second. I know we're all dealing with it, and I acknowledge that many of us are dealing with it in different ways right now. Um, so this will just be a place where you can kind of come and, and unplug for a second and, and listen to people talk about music. Uh, I have a Patreon page. If you are using that Patreon right now or you know, patronizing that Patreon right now and you need to unplug for whatever reason, please, please do so take care of yourself and take care of your family for people that support it. Um, thank you. Um, but there's no expectation of doing that, especially now. Um, we're going to get through this, uh, because we have to, but also because we're going to get through it. Um, and this will be a place that throughout it, I will be continuing to do things for and putting out episodes. I'm going to start actually putting out more episodes just because we're going to have a lot of sitting around to do. So hopefully I can kind of give you something to listen to while you sit around. If you're like myself, you're going to be indoors a lot with the family. Uh, I generally hope that this podcast is something you can listen to with your older kids, you know, kids that are old enough to explain stuff to. So if you're stuck indoors with the kids, we'll continue to put up this podcast. And I think I'm also going to reach out to everyone in the footnotes network and start putting out more of those too. And just, yeah, you know, keep the lights on over here so you can have somewhere to, to be and check out stuff. So as it stands right now, this tour with Slim Cessna's Auto Club and the Bell Rays, which is going to be a fantastic tour and a very extensive tour of America and Canada, is scheduled to still go on as of May 14th in Denver, Colorado. Uh, check local listings as time goes on. Um, this is in 2020. So if you're listening to this years from now, uh, I, hey, I hope everything's okay. But um, – you know, probably not as germane to yourself. You'll know whether or not this tour happened in May, but if you are listening in the short term or kind of in the immediate interim after this episode came out, check local listings to make sure these dates are all still happening, but it is going all over the place. This tour with two incredible live bands. Um, I've never seen Slim Cessna's auto club live. I've watched videos online, uh, but the bell rays I've seen a few times over the years and my gosh, uh, yeah, definitely check out this tour and support bands when they get out on the road. Like if you have the means to right now, please support all the bands that are featured on this podcast. Uh, all the all the artists that are featured on this podcast in ways uh, that you can, if you are able to. Once again, understanding that everyone's going through this, so if you can't do it, do not worry. We're all dealing with this thing, so you know it's totally understandable. Do what you can in this situation. But anyway, as this is going to be something where we move on and just talk about music and things like that, let's get on to the things that I normally talk about on this show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page uh, and an Instagram page and that email address, and they're all run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the messages to me and we can communicate that way. You can also find me on various forms of social media. I'm not on social media right now. I'm going to post stuff about the show, but if you want to get in touch with me, uh, I'm, I'm taking a break from it. And, and maybe we all should not, maybe we shouldn't all do it, but you know, if you can unplug for a second, try because, um, it can get really heavy on there. You know, we're, I think we're at this point, we're kind of crowdsourcing anxiety in a lot of ways. So, um, I'm not really on social media right now. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can just send an email to that email address. That's probably the best way um, right now. Um, I've given my other email address out on the show and other episodes. You can send emails there too. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, you know, please 
uh, you know, get in touch and let us know what's going on. Um, if you want to support this podcast, the best way to support this podcast is by letting everyone know that, you know, uh, that you listen to it and that you're enjoying it. Uh, you can also subscribe to it and rate it on your podcast, listening to platform of choice. A uh, huge thank you to Vans, uh, everyone at Vans for, uh, continuing to support this podcast and, uh, helping me keep the lights on over here right now. And, yeah, can, you know, House of Vans, of course, is suspended until further notice, but when it gets back up and running, we will be celebrating and talking about that, I guarantee you, on this podcast. Uh, and uh, that's it, I think, for that stuff. Oh, you check out The Wrestlers on, if you're at home right now, it's on a lot of streaming services. You can watch that wrestling show that I made and uh, made with other people. <laughs> I, made, I made it, like I'm out there doing it by myself, but uh, that's worth checking out. And also, digging the archives of this thing, we got it unbelievable episodes back there. Unbelievable episodes. There's also a Patreon page, which has, uh, other content. If you're sitting around at home and you want to subscribe to that, you can. And, uh, yeah, that's it. We're going to, but check, check out the archives. There's so much good stuff in the trend punk archives. Like I forget sometimes, uh, and then I go back and listen to something and I'm not, not because it's <laughs> after such a great interview. No, but I just mean like the guests we've had on and the stories that they tell, and it's funny going back to listen to some of the older episodes, some of these threads that are picked out throughout the, the show, you know, people that are brought up. There's an episode I'm thinking of in particular, and I'll, I might talk about it more when I drop the uh, sequel to it that's coming really soon. But there's just threads that have kind of been brought up throughout the whole show. So if you got time now, dig back through that archive and enjoy some of the older episodes with people. Um, that is that for that on to today's episode. Well, one of today's episodes, cause I say there is two, this is with slim Cessna of the fantastic slim Cessna's uh, slim Cessna's. It's a pronunciation <laughs> challenge for me, I guess. Slim Cessna's auto club, a fantastic band, uh, and but also Slim is someone who, as you know, when I have people on this show, I, I'm also a fan of a lot of the older bands that Slim has been into. But this is something I never expect to happen when I have someone on the podcast where you know it goes in a completely different direction. We wind up talking on this one a lot about the idea that uh, that you know, um, like Denver, I guess, Colorado, Boulder. Denver and Boulder and, and probably other places as well, but the sort of gothic side to the punk rock that comes out of these places. And it goes a lot of really interesting places at this conversation. Um, I, I love this episode. This is something I'm very excited for all of you to hear and, and very excited to discuss with some other people because there's a lot of things that are brought up on this episode that I've been dying to nerd out with people about. And, uh, uh, oh, I can't wait to do it. Um, I'm very excited for people to check this out. Uh, that's it. Um, I'm not going to ramble on anymore because, you know, like now's, now's a great time for uh, everyone to kind of, you know, sit back, relax, and enjoy Slim Cessna on Turned Out a Punk. Slim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm a big fan of, of, of multiple bands that you've been in, actually, but also I'm a, a huge fan of the scene you came out of, and it's a scene that I know painfully little about, so I'm excited <laughs> to, to learn today. Um, but I, I, yeah, I wonder this. if I know anything about it. We'll find out. <laughs> well, I, if you know less than I do, I think we're all in for a shock then, because uh, yeah. we can go from there, though. Uh, maybe we'll both learn today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is Slim. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Sure. I mean, um, you know, I was a teenager in the 1980s, and so that was a pretty good time to be alive, and and uh, and, and and all of the incredible music that that I was able to discover. Um, I, you know, honestly, I think I think. Probably, well, I mean, I've said this before, and 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 hopefully it's actually true, but I, th I think it is. Seeing Devo on um, Saturday Night Live, whenever that was, late seventies, yeah, changed everything for me. It made me realize that there were people like me in the world, mm -hmm. and that it was okay to rock out and be a total dork all at the same time, um, and and that you know, led to, to so many discoveries and, um, uh, going to the record store and just, um, picking out albums by what album, what the covers looked cool, you know, um, reading fanzines and, uh, 
researching the way we had to in the old days. It's funny. You, you brought up that Devo performance. How many people that kind of saw that, what a, you know, like a cultural, uh, lightning rod that was for, for people like all over the place. Like it feels like that, or the B-52's performance also comes up on this podcast a lot from, from different oh, people, man, Yeah, but it was almost like that just activated so many young people's yeah. imagination. Right. And you know, I don't know if I was ever like, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like we called ourselves punk rock then. Or like, uh, like the Ramones had the song "Sheena is a punk rocker," and and I don't know, like we we all just thought that we were weird and we liked music that was better than what everyone else liked. <laughs> like, of course, yeah. like me and my friends, we did, we liked interesting music and mm-hmm. things that that uh, you wouldn't hear on the radio, and um, you know, taking the bus to the record store and, and finding things out, and it was our own secret club. I think also that's what I've, I've been so fascinated. I mentioned being, you know, really interested about the music that kind of comes out of, of Colorado and specifically, you know, the Denver kind of stuff is, it's just, it's so all over the map. Like you've got, you know, um, you know, your funeral, which sounds absolutely nothing like bum con, which sounds absolutely nothing like, like, you know, like there's just like such a, a radically different approaches to like you're saying just cool music like mike watt was recently on the show and he referred to it as the movement but it's like oh man it's like all these different approaches to the movement whatever that is (laughs) whatever it is like like in some ways it would be so hard to call the minutemen punk rock but they Mm -hmm. were more punk rock than everybody (laughs) exactly you know it's and it's there's a you know like you're saying devo too like it it, it's funny because it's it's all punk rock to me, um, you know, yeah. and and I think all these people at various w- times also identified with it being called punk rock, but it's as it's kind of you know been taken up and marketed and and repackaged over and over yeah. again that it's kind of become these very distinct sonics that don't really, as you're saying, reflect like you know Devo or or just all the stuff that people are actually into. Yeah. So where did you kind of go from, you know, seeing this Devo Saturday Night Live thing? You mentioned going to the record stores. Like, what was the record store? Oh, boy. Well, you know, you mentioned Wax Tracks a little bit before the the actual interview started. But probably every Saturday, I would take the bus with my friends to Wax Tracks (laughs) 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 and and find things out and and bug the guys that worked there, you know, who were older and and wiser and, and I, I was such a nerd and I would just geek out on everything and ask a million questions. Well, it also just feels like, um, it, it, like that store is just like, even to this day, like, you know, anytime I'm around, like it hasn't closed like very recently. Right. <laughs> I feel terrible. No, 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 okay, it's still there. Okay. Good. Like, oh my <laughs> and, gosh. And, and I haven't been there in a while, which is bad. I need to, I need to stop in. I unfortunately have not been there for uh, at least two years now since I've been in Denver, but like, it's just teeming with information. I love the way they like write about the records on the plastic bag. And it's just, Oh yeah. It's such a, it's such a like real record store. Yeah. Were there a lot of punks? You know, you mentioned your friends taking the bus in with you. Were there like a lot of punks kids around you or a lot of kids interested in like new wave around you? Or were you guys kind of like yeah. on, on a trip? Oh, no, well, I mean, there were there were different scenes like I didn't live in Denver and there were a lot of kids in Denver and and several of whom you know were great friends of mine and still are like you know especially with Facebook things happening but uh um yeah there were just uh there were just a couple of us in Boulder <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and I think that was a good thing um but you know and I was also like in a band already too you know at that point and and, and we were playing all ages shows and 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 meeting people that way um which was also amazing well that that's the son of t's yeah that was a band called sons of t how did that band come together like was it before you heard punk type stuff no 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 we wanted we wanted to be we wanted to be a band like that yeah yeah that was important so were there a lot of bands kind of around you in boulder or was the scene kind of more you know, centered in Denver at the time. There were a couple, but mostly it was in Denver. Um, but I remember, you know, in particular, I mean, there was a band called the fluid that I'm sure, you know, oh, of. Yes. and, you know, and I would just like hero worship those guys, but we got to play a show once with them at, you know, an all ages show in Littleton, which is, you know, South of Denver. Um, 
we would just play shows like that. Like uh, in Boulder, there was a, a train depot that would allow us to, to put shows on. Um, and bands from Littleton would come to that, or we would go to Littleton and, and, and play shows there, and then also sometimes in Denver. But a lot of the the all ages show, at least that I knew about, like I didn't know every everybody or every place to play, but it was oftentimes in the suburbs, <laughs> <laughs> just suburban kids trying to be punk rock. A hundred percent. Well, you mentioned yeah. the fluid that, and that's like the post Frantics band. Did you ever see the Frantics? I never saw the Frantics, but boy, I sure was a fan. Oh, it's such an incredible record. Yeah. Like my dad's an alcoholic is like one of the oh, yeah. one of the top punk songs ever. <laughs> it's so good yeah and it's like amazing when yeah. you like you hear that and you're like oh that's that kind of grunge guitar sound and it's it's like years oh, before it, sure it would become the grunge guitar sound oh i mean those guys invented it you know yeah. honestly yeah. <laughs> i mean <laughs> i mean they were doing tours with nirvana and i'm sure that uh i'm sure that they were an influence yeah definitely it's uh it's kind of hard to miss it once you hear it that's for sure right what were some of the bands that you would play with in in the first band? Well, boy, the, there was a band called uh, Pavilion Steps, mm-hmm. um, and they were, and let's see, da- so David um, Edwards from 16 Horsepower and Woven Hand was in that band, and Jeffrey Paul, who was also in Denver Gentleman, um, and some and some in uh, 16 Horsepower for a couple albums, I think. And um, we were all... Uh, teenagers and we would we would we would just play shows together and that's how we all met and then eventually we were all in the same bands together um and so that was awesome as well um there was a band called the soul merchants and they would be you know it was before you would use the word goth so we called it death rock mm-hmm. and they were amazing um and that had bob um uh, for brush who also ended up producing a lot of the albums um yeah, a lot of Auto Club albums and 16 Horsepower albums. And um, there was a real dark flavor, I think, you know, to to our music community somehow. And then and then, and also kind of this weird religious thing that I think that we were all kids that grew up in the church and, and then ended up liking, you know, good music and but still kind of incorporating all of that in our in our thing. And, and somehow like all the people I knew, we were really into music that, that had like a darker quality to it. Like we loved, um, Joy Division and, you know, Sisters of Mercy and, and all of those kinds of bands. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the, the kind of like being into the darker stuff. Cause I think that's the thing when you go to Colorado, you know, a big deal is made obviously of the Denver airport and sort of the occult, uh, underpinnings to that airport yeah. and things like that. But like, there is this sort of, uh, I don't know, like eeriness and like, you know, you see it reflected in your funeral. And the, I think the woman who sang in that band, like she was eventually a serial killer art dealer, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can't remember her name. I was just, um, I was just trying to remember um, it myself. I was trying to reach for the seven inch as you were talking. So I could then, check her name. <laughs> yeah. I ran into her in Boston too, like later in the eighties. And, and that was interesting. And I don't remember, I can't remember her name. That's too long ago. They are, uh, you know, like a, once again, like though a really kind of dark goth band. I think she did a solo record afterwards too. Oh my gosh, I wish I could remember her oh. name. That once again, kind of is it Karen or Jer- Jerry Jerry Rossi? Is Jerry it? Rossi, yes. Um, and Jerry J- Rossi used to scare the hell out of me too. <laughs> she um, looks but then I, I ran into her later because because we ended up in Boston. I was in this band called Bloodflower after Sons of Tea, and that was with David and and Jeffrey Paul and. Um, basically we had a, we had a seven inch and so we decided we had to go on tour and this was, I think 1986. And so we ended up like, like we were getting shows sometimes by just, you know, going to town and then meeting all the other kids that, you know, looked like us and, and getting a show (laughs) to play like the next night or whatever. Like it was that kind of tour, but our van kept breaking down all across the country and ended up completely dying in Boston. And so we ended up living there for a couple of years. So you just have to move in. And Which, I mean, like, we had to get jobs, you know. Like, yeah. Was, that was just how it was. And then so we got to meet all these Boston people, and that was amazing. And Jerry Rossi was, was uh, one of them. And um, and I just remember, you know, beforehand being just 
terrified of her because she's a real strong personality and her music is is dark and um and she's really smart and she was older than 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 us uh, but she was so nice to me <laughs> in boston and that was awesome <laughs> uh yeah it, it is it is a uh I remember I bought a copy of that seven inch like randomly on tour one time in mm-hmm. I think Kansas City. And in the seven inch there was actually a newspaper clipping about her gig as a art dealer or an artifact dealer. I don't know what you'd refer to it as, but uh, <laughs> that she had moved into this other career and it's you know, right. listening to that record, reading that article, I'm like, Yeah, this all makes sense. It all fits into place. Yeah, like selling the um clown paintings by what's his name <laughs> uh, oh yeah john wayne gacy paintings <laughs> yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah, I like think that. that she was doing that i i actually there's a <laughs> book that came out of everyone yeah. that owns a john wayne gacy painting she might have put okay. it out yeah, and so. and apparently oprah owns one. Oh wow <laughs> according to uh what i've heard allegedly i guess <laughs> i just oh, wow. put that out there but interesting yeah it's it's fascinating where they wound up so maybe maybe oprah Bought it off the singer of your funeral. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So when, you, you know, you obviously talk about Bloodflowers, and that single's awesome. Like, uh, I, I've only heard it, you know, online and stuff like that. I haven't yeah. been able to track down a copy of it, but a really cool band. What are the influences going into that single? Oh, man. I, <clears throat> I you know, like 80s new wave, but also like kind of American folk music. Like mm-hmm. we were already kind of starting to explore that whole idea. And, 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 you know, we were interested in, I mean, I grew up listening to country music and I never ever, like even when I was, you know, into new wave and punk rock music, I never didn't love country music at the same time. Like, and I think that that was the same for, for all of us really. And so there is, there are elements of that. And then there's like kind of gospel music, references or at least in in lyrical content i suppose and um i i think that we kind of saw saw ourselves or or at least tried to pretend that we were some sort of religious cult like we never would say that but you know we were we were all together and we were kind of like not really like everybody else and um you know i don't i don't know and and so I certainly think there are elements of of all of that, you know, kind of Branch Davidians without guns. <laughs> well, it's it's also your touring, and you know, it's such an interesting time uh, <laughs> that pre, you know, Nirvana alternative ascension period, where I, I like I imagine as you're saying, you're just showing up in some places. That, you know, obviously long before telecommunication had gotten to the point to make touring slightly easier. Um, just asking punks to play with like, but were there bands that you kind of felt part of a scene with even locally at the time? Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that was hard. Like, cause even then, and I still think that, you know, I, my, everything that I'm involved with even today is the same. Like we're never really part of any genre club. <laughs> and so it's, it's always like, you know, and on one hand it's like amazing because we, we invent our own way to play music. And on the other hand, you know, it makes it harder for people to discover us because we're not part of like some scene or genre that, that every other band gets to, you know, enjoy, you know, the success of other Boy, it's, I'm, it's a little long. No, don't worry. At but all. no, I mean, we had other. We did. We were friendly with other bands, and I, you know, we would always play shows with 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 groups that that we were familiar with. But oftentimes, it wasn't really anything like what we were doing. You know, like we would play a show at the Fluid, or you know, there was gosh, there was a band called were the Warlock Pinchers. Like that was a band that was just starting off back in those days, and and they were amazing. Um, but you know, kind of a I, what is that like a hip hop punk rock thing? Um, and man, I don't know. Soul merchants, like I mentioned before, we would play shows with them, but we weren't really quite like that, but it was all part of this. Uh, I mean, I guess we did have our own scene and there were fanzines just for, you know, music in our town. Um, and that was pretty cool. I, we even wrote one at one point. Boy, I would love to get my hands on that. It was called the mallard. Really? And the, the cover had like just a picture of a duck and, and it was just about like, you know, fans yeah. in Colorado. 
Yeah, well, it's also because I reason I asked that is because I love the single, but it's like it is really hard to like, as you say, put in the genre club. Like, um, you know, yeah. like especially in a pre, I think a few years later that band would have fit right in with a lot of stuff that was happening. But at the time you're doing oh, it, sure. you're ahead of the curve. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, a lot of it. And I think that, you know, that it, this kind of goes to the whole punk rock thing in general. Like we didn't really, we were learning how to play instru- our instruments as we went, you know, mm-hmm. and we were teenagers and just like that whole movement allowed us to just grab drums and guitar even though we'd never played them before and just and make a band (laughs) and and so it always ends up a little bit different than everybody else because we're not good enough to play anybody else's sounds uh what was it like getting to boston at that time like um you know it's you know once again a really interesting time for stuff coming out of boston and sort of the area like musically yeah um where did you kind of fit in there and like what were some of the 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 bands you remember taking in at that time or stuff you remember taking in well gosh i don't I'm trying to remember. I mean, we played some shows in Boston, but for the life of me, I can't. I don't know if I could remember even what the band's names were. Um, oh, there was a band called Feeding Frenzy. Okay, yeah. Um, they were semi New Englandy popular in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a band called Oh Boy. I mean, there are certainly bands that I loved that we never got to play with, like Human Sexual Response um, was in Boston at the time. Though later, I did get to be in a band with Rich Gilbert, the guitar player from Human Sexual Response, um, in a band called Blackstone Valley Sinners, but that was decades (laughs) decades later. And and also, Malcolm, the drummer from Human Sexual Response, was a short... uh, 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 time I think he played drums with the Auto Club for six months um, back in the early 2000s. So that's all interesting as well. I had no idea about that connection. I love their records, so that is that's very wild to find out that there was that kind of connection. Yeah, yeah. So I've actually played with a couple of those guys, but back then we never did. Back then it was you know they were way bigger than, <laughs> than we were. <laughs> like we, you know we're playing in some dive bar for 15 people like at the Rat. the hierarchy that exists uh you know seems so petty as years go by yeah well there's a band called um baldo rex uh and they're actually from boulder also um and they were boy they were really good but they ended up in boston at the same time and i do think that we played a few shows with them in the late 80s i guess like leading up to and you know i guess the pixies would be kind of the biggest like, you know, commercial success out of that area yeah. at that time. But like, it felt like, you know, if, you know, before Seattle and I guess before Athens or maybe at the same time as Athens, like Boston was kind of like the place that was going to go next. Yeah. And it did, you know, to a certain extent with throwing muses. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. season. Um, you know, I, w- I was actually friends because well, w- one of the things that happened to me, like by being stranded in Boston was I ended up getting married. Um, in 1988 um and my my wife my, my ex-wife now um what grew up with all of the throwing muses people in rhode island oh, and wow. so i so i was also you know and still am i suppose i haven't seen them in a while but with Kristen and tanya like um and david like uh they were good friends of ours and then there's like the is belly also from that scene too yeah, Belly was later. That was Tanya. Oh, After she left throwing music, she made Belly. But actually, she was in uh, she was in the Breeders first for yeah. their first album, and then left that and made Belly. Because also, there's a dude. Oh, some of the members of the band verbal abuse or verbal assault. Sorry, verbal yeah. assault. Yeah, that dude went to prom with my ex wife. <laughs> 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 yeah, they were great. Was I great love that band. band. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the trial and I think learns the first LP that Ian McKay produced. Both of those are fantastic records, right? But it's it's funny too because you know you look at DC um, and you know there's such like you know not a defined Sonic, but there are like Sonic parameters placed on it. But like I guess going back to kind of the, the scene you're coming out of in Colorado, or not necessarily coming out of in Colorado, but like sort of the the Boulder Denver scenes. It's just, they're so different, right? Like we've talked about the yeah. Frantics and that's like another band that was taking this thing in a completely different direction than the yeah. other bands. What was the first show you remember going to? Um, like doesn't even have to be punk, but just concert period. 
Oh, well, the first concert I went to was, oh boy, I, I probably, um, <laughs> wait, wait, what's the guy that, it was a Red Rocks, I mean, I was a kid, he, uh, B.J. Thomas, the raindrops keep falling oh, on my head, yeah. <laughs> which was, you know, awesome, that's still a great song, by the it's way. It's from Starsky and Hutch, yeah. too, right, they play that? Yeah, d- yeah, I think so, yeah. Not Starsky and Hutch, um, Sundance Kid and, uh. <laughs> Sundance, it's in Butch Cassidy Butch and the Cassidy Sundance, Sundance Kid. Kid. I love yeah, that I went riding to around and <laughs> Paul Newman's riding around on the bike, but it's funny, because when you said that, I knew exactly what you were yeah. talking about, <laughs> and I was just going with it, but, um. <laughs> Yeah, well, and but as far as I, I think that it was the fluid at the at the depot, the train depot in Boulder, like that was the first time I ever really went to a, a show that was, you know, more along those lines. And what was the scene like around that band at that time? Was it like like was it because you know it's obviously a few years before you know, everything would start exploding with that sound was like, were they popular at that time? Or was it kind of like, once again, an underground thing? I remember there were a lot of people there. I think, well, I mean, mean, you know, this was kind of a time when, when, when all of that was new for everybody. I mean, you know, there were bands, but uh, but there were a lot of cover bands, you know, and um, things like that. And Fluid is kind of the first band I remember noticing that actually they, played their own music and, and people showed up to see them and it was very inspiring to me and all of my friends it's like yeah that's what we're gonna do we're gonna make our own songs and um you know i think that we were a little later than like everybody in la you know like we were back in those days like denver and colorado was pretty isolated i mean there weren't a lot of shows there aren't weren't a lot of touring bands coming to town um it we basically built our own scene and 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 people ended up showing up you know everybody wanted to go out and see music and so it was oftentimes just local bands and the fluid was certainly our biggest at that time it's funny because yeah when jello by afro was on he talked about how he's like he says i moved to san francisco and then everything starts getting going like it feels like i left and then you know this amazing scene kind of springs up um and i think you know his tastes and and you know reflected in that label are are more reflective of, of almost the Colorado than the California side of things. Oh yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, when you saw punch was the fluid, was it on punch and Judy? Like 80, what, like it would have been around like mid eighties, I guess. Yeah. This would be 84 or 85. I suppose. I don't, I don't remember exactly what year that record is. And I don't remember what, what album, it had uh, it, it had a song called Saccharin Rejection. Rejection. Yes, <laughs> whatever whatever album that song was on. That is Punch and Judy. That is an yeah. incredible record. Um, yeah, you know, once again, uh, but like it's funny that record actually was pressed in Canada. Oh, yeah. so in Toronto, where I'm from, so it's a uh, yeah. I feel like a, a kindred spirit. I've never found a copy, but it's a record that I've also always been kind of eyeing on discogs because i've got yeah i got the european pressing so i feel ridiculous buying both versions but you oh know. you got the europe so that's like on glitter house right yeah glitter house picked it up which i think is yeah you know it's it's a, a that's a label that i've also been fascinated by because they were once again just like <clears throat> on to so many different things you know and signing right. so many cool interesting bands kind of like before everything really gets going even in america yeah yeah how did you like when you? Sorry, did Bloodflower break up in Boston? Um, no, we en- eventually made it back to Colorado. I think like a couple years later. Um, but even that was a story in itself. Like a car was breaking down and um, being stranded. We were stranded in like outside of Pittsburgh and Washington, Pennsylvania, for three weeks while these guys <laughs> rebuilt our engine. Oh. Um, and we stayed at their house and it was in the hills, you know, and it was like, oh my God, like, what? <laughs> we're all these crazy looking kids. Um, but anyway, uh, we did make it, make it home. Um, got it. And, and then I, uh, and then those guys, Dave and Jeff ended up moving to LA and I was young and, um, just recently been married and I ended up staying in Colorado, but then they moved back to Colorado and, and that's when Denver Gentleman happened, like in 1991 or somewhere in there. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Bloodflower didn't last much longer after we got back to Colorado. 
how had things changed um, in the scene locally by the time you left? Because like that's the thing that always you know gets stressed. I think at that point is like how quickly scenes changed and time moved back then versus today, where you oh, know yeah. things move very quickly but also very slowly at the same time. It seems. <laughs> I think we did notice like there were places to play shows, like especially in Denver. Like that was interesting. Like real shows you know where you didn't have to bring in an amp and a mic to run your own you know vocals and everything like this guy named michael lustig um was was promoting uh shows nationally and and locally and also a a guy named tom headbanger um was doing the same and and so we had some pretty good shows after that is that a real last name headbanger or an assumed name well he even goes by that on Facebook. So I'm going to go with real. That's amazing. He, he's still a friend of mine too. He lives in DC now. He's awesome. <laughs> That's a, that, if that is yeah. a, uh, a birth name, that is, you, you can't pick a better career path. He was like the president of, I don't know if they, if you would call the, of the president and I don't even know if you would call it a fan club, but there was a band called psychic TV. Yeah. And they were really huge in Colorado. Like, uh, like we all loved psychic TV. And so he, he ran this organization called psychic youth and it was kind of a cult religion, um, experience based off of, off of that band and totally completely endorsed by the band too, by the way, I, I know that he's still friends with Genesis and all of that. This is why I'm obsessed with uh, Colorado and the music that comes out of it because of things like this, like, like, you know, like I I know, you know, psychic TV is obviously a legendary band and massively, massively influential, but at the same time, kind of a cult band and certainly (laughs) cult enough that I don't imagine there are a lot of psychic youth organizations popping up. uh, Right. You know, outside. Right, and then we, and then you know, and then Tom Edbanger comes in and makes the cult about the band. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, it's it's, it's yeah. like, and it's, I think he's still doing it too. For that matter, I follow him on Instagram, and he still has like these little posts about psychic TV. It's also like once again, like you know, as we were talking about earlier, as things eventually get codified and defined, you like kind of lose all this amazing weirdness on the fringes, like throbbing gristle was like a punk band, you know, and, and, and kind of got like, I guess, uh, you know, uh, packaged out, but eventually, but like the reality is like, they were part of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. So where did Denver gentlemen kind of fit in? Like how much touring did you do? Cause like, obviously the band, you know, comes back in the two thousands, but like the first time around and did you kind of stay going the whole time? Um, yeah, Jeffrey Paul had it going the whole time. I was only in it very early. Um, and I, I was in it, like, David David Edwards was in it as well. Um, but he was in it before me. Um, and then he started 16 Horsepower, um, you know, before I was even in Denver Gentleman. And then, because they were in L.A. and then they came back, it, it, I, I don't really remember the timeline very well. <laughs> it was so long ago. But I was in it for, like, three years, maybe two. And we, you know, honestly, we only played a handful of shows, but the music we made was incredible. We never toured. We never made any records. Um, at least not when I was in the band, we didn't. Um, it was in about, it was about 92 when I decided I wanted to make a country band. Um, and so I was doing both. Like I had, I had the auto slim Cessna's auto club and Denver gentlemen happening at the same time. And, and so they overlapped like about a year until I realized I was having way more fun doing my own thing with my friends, um, trying to figure out how to play country music the way we do it. Well, yeah. How did slim, slim Cessna's auto club come together and like, what you know, you mentioned having this sort of passion, long running passion for country music, but like, yeah. what led you to finally decide to go down that path in a real way, or a real direct way? I mean, in in the early nineties, I I had become even more obsessed with with country music, um, you know, and and all of it, like, and and obsessed with the whole history of it, and and in American music, and and even my favorite bands that you know, like the Gun Club, and um, you know, kind mm-hmm. of led me there as well and x and, and and then x made that band called the uh, the the knitters. knitters yeah and and they were awesome and it was like man i just i just love that music so much and and so 
I, you know, I'd never played guitar before, and so I just taught myself three chords and a guitar and, and got my friends in my basement with some beer and said, listen, we're going to figure out how to play this. Um, and we never got very good at it, which I think is to our benefit because, you know, then the Auto Club was able to develop into what it is now, you know, with um, just kind of reinventing the, the way to, uh, you know, reimagining or at least our vision of, of, of what it all means. Yeah. And I think we were fortunate that we recognized that early too. Like yeah. we were trying to be a country band for the first few years and, and it was like, and, and, and people came to shows and it was fun and we had a blast and our first album, I still think is, is really good, but like we recognized that that isn't really what we should be doing. You know, we're, we're not, the, these people and and so we 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 got rid of the rules um, soon after, and once once you lose the rules, then you can do whatever whatever the fuck you want, you know. Yeah, it's and, it's also like you mentioned the, the sort of like long running relationship that like going back to Gun Club and, and even the Cramps, I guess before that oh, too, yeah. between like I guess like just American roots music, and it's almost like punk was about like sort of like going back and understanding and appreciating not just early rock and roll, but like all genres, you know, like just sort of a, a real, like, uh, it was like the, the record collectors took over. Yeah. Everything was allowed. And that was, that was what, what I take from it. Like there weren't any, you can call it genres or whatever genre bending, like anything, everything, anything goes like, and then you can just do whatever the fuck you want. And it was amazing what led you to kind of also want to put out your own records and kind of take like early on, do that as uh, do a sort of more DIY thing. Like you'd been doing DIY stuff all along, obviously, but was right. it just born out of the fact that once again, <clears throat> resisting genre, you kind of had to carve your own path in the beginning. I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, we were with alternative tentacles for God, like 15 years, maybe was, uh, 12, <laughs> somewhere between third record, 12 and right? <laughs> yeah 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 the, and um and that was great you know jello was awesome and and he let us do whatever we want and and he was very supportive but there did there did come a time where we realized that we were just treading water you know and it, we weren't things weren't well we just never had any money you know mm-hmm. we never had money to tour we were touring constantly but you know we were you know, trying to pay our bills and do all these things. And we weren't, nothing was working. And so we just decided, you know, whenever that was like five or six years ago, just, we're just going to make our own label. Like why? I mean, this is how we all started out. This is what we used to do. And now it's even easier. We have the internet and we have, we have all of that. And, and, and even that even goes along with, with Jello's whole thing, you know, do your own thing and make your own label. And that's what he did. And so we took that whole idea and did it ourselves as well. And it's been great. Like we're not getting rich, but you know, we, but the money goes in the bank every month and, and it all just goes to us and we can, we get, we can give ourselves to our support. Now. <laughs> yeah. Ian McCoy was you know? just altruistic. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is awesome. I mean, yeah. it, you know, we, we literally do whatever we want. Like, and now we have, we have three bands, you know, but we're all in the same bands. Like <laughs> it's like really weird and, and, and probably like business wise, like completely, you know, ridiculous, you know, uh, because it just confuses everybody and, um, <laughs> makes it so much more difficult for us, but we get a kick out of it. And like, we can, explore different things with each with each group that we're in and um and have fun with that you know and make art we like even with it jello you know and alternative tentacles it's you know having the the connection to the state you know it's in in even glitter house having kind of the connection to the state you've you've it's like your yeah. band is just such a i don't know i just associate it so much with with where you're from you know and i think it's amazing talking to you how much of where you're from seems to impact this music. And I've never really thought about it in that kind of way before, but like, do you, do you think like Colorado does play a role in the way the band is? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
I think that it, it, I mean, even just everything, like the whole DIY-ness of, of, you know, how we're doing it again now. Well, of course, we're, we're with Glitterhouse in Europe. That's that's way too hard to try to think about, <laughs> like, distribution over there. Like, Nailing we're just not it. smart oh, enough. God. We're yeah. not smart enough to do that. And also, they're awesome, and they let us, they also let us do whatever we want. So that's great. But, and they uh, put out that first fluid record, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's right. you got that connection to the state right yeah. there. Yeah, and they did 16 horsepower, yeah. and they also do Woven Hand, and, and they've <laughs> been putting out our last several albums, so um, they're great. But, uh, you know, the connection to Colorado, but I, I think even even just like the gothicness of it, like somehow we were all raised, it just felt like even though there's more sunshine in Colorado than there is in Arizona, <laughs> yeah. and like literally like it's like 350 days of the year, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like the sun is out, but it's there's still like at least back in the 80s there was like this darkness and all the bands we liked and and the whole movement of, of everything and and like what we liked about music and and so we definitely still have that you know like we can go darker than anybody but then we also but even with all of that like even all the bands that we like and um like there's this there is like this um reward of and and the celebration of of life and performance and and so it's 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 a really it's interesting it's it's hard to wrap even wrap my head around it like where does that come from like how can we take such joy and um in making a celebration that's almost like a religious experience but you know like the song's like i don't know Profane like murder I ballad or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I don't know that guy, that country music is like that as well. Anyway, yeah. I mean it's just all. Well, I guess you said like growing up religious kids, you know, you have to find an outlet eventually, and uh, yeah, and and also that I guess is going to be an influence as well. And right. it's you know, I, yeah, like I've never really thought about it, but like yeah, beneath the the decriminalized magic mushrooms and legal cannabis, there is a a real dark gothic side to to the state that you don't really see until you look at the culture that kind of comes out of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're all gone now. Like, <laughs> I mean, Woven Hand and the Auto Club, we're all still playing, but everybody else, like all these young people, they don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> like, like Denver Sound, like they don't get it. Uh, I mean, they weren't there, you know? Yeah. They, yep. they came, they came here from Brooklyn. Yeah. They moved, they moved, <laughs> they moved in. They didn't come up with that Gothic religion. Yeah. And they weren't isolated. Like we were like yeah. Denver is connected. Like we have some of the best music venues in the world and bands from all over the world, world come. And they always did to a certain extent, like with Red Rocks and you know, whatever. But now it's like, it's a thing, you know? Yeah. Now, like we compete against like 20 bands, you know, every time we play a show here, <laughs> like it's yeah crazy. I, I remember even when I first came there playing a show, I think it would have been like early two thousands, you know, and yeah. even then it felt like so different than it does now. Like it felt like a lot more like you're describing, like it was, uh, it was like still on the come up as far as a city goes. Whereas now mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's one of the biggest cities, it's the fastest growing city in America. I, might, I don't know if it still yeah. is, but at one point it was right. Oh man, there's too many people here. Yeah. It's, it's, I live out in the middle of nowhere now. I live about... Um, well, I'm in Denver right now talking to you, but I live about an hour and 45 minutes southwest of here, literally in the middle of nowhere at 10,000 feet. And that's just the best thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm 54 and I'm just going to take it easy the rest of my life. I, I see enough of the city every time we tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and also, you know, like now that the goth is gone, you got to you got to bring the goth with you and get out. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, I just brewed up there by myself and yeah, watch the moose walk through my yard. In the mountain keep. Getting ready. <laughs> yeah. Um, Slim, this has been an amazing uh, chance to talk to you. Would you come back at some point down the line for a part two? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to talking again. Oh, I look forward to talking to you, and that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Slim, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Slim's going to be back for a part two um, in some point in the near future. And, oh, Jerry Rossi, I went back and listened to your funeral. Um, and if you have never heard 
uh, I Want to Be You by Your Funeral. You're missing out on one of the greatest punk songs ever. An incredible punk song. Check it out. Uh, also, I think on the on the show Instagram, or maybe I'll even do some stuff on the uh, on the Leffer Damien Instagram. I'm, I'm not really checking social media, but I'll still post stuff for people that are. Um, but I'll check, post up the newspaper clipping that I have from the New York Times about Jerry Rossi's paint, uh, you know, a serial killer painting dealing because it's a, a very interesting article as well. Also, we brought up the band Human Sexual Response. Uh, the song Andy Fell by Human Sexual Response, once again, a very morbid subject matter, but a phenomenal song. I, I can't stress that enough. And it's funny, even after Slim and I got off um, the recording here, we kept talking and I brought up how City Hunter and there's modern Denver bands that kind of continue this sort of like gothic, morbid kind of take on punk and hardcore. So yeah, check out all those bands. Denver, there's, there's some spooky stuff happening out of that place uh, musically. <laughs> Very, you know, it's not all John Denver in Colorado. It's not all, uh, mountains and sunshine. There's, there's, there's a, there's a shady side to the mountain. That's a great name for a Denver goth comp, the shady side of the mountain. Okay. That's it for Slim Cessna. Now head over and check out Lisa from the Bell Rays episode because we don't talk about any of the same stuff. It's a completely different episode, but it is not to be missed. I promise you, you will enjoy that episode. It is a fantastic episode. Well, later on this week on the show, because as I say, I'm going to keep trying to put out a lot of episodes for this thing because I've got, I got a ton of episodes that I got to get through. But this one is someone that I've wanted to talk to ever since I saw his unbelievable um, comedy special. And I say, I hesitate saying comedy special because it's so much more than a comedy special. It's more a documentary, a, a personal exploration. Uh, it's, it's an incredible piece of art. That's the best way to put it. Next week on the show, Whitmere Thomas, um, and the golden one is the name of this thing. It's on HBO. Do not miss it. Do not. Uh, Whit comes on and we talk about punk and we, I find out about a weird fucked up connection. It's, it's a great episode not to be missed. And, and that's it. Okay. Everyone, please, please stay safe out there. Look out for the vulnerable, vulnerable people around you. Look out for, you know, everyone around you right now. Don't be a motherfucking hoarder. Don't do that shit. It's it's not helping anyone. Anyone. Um, and that's it. Uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Um, I love you. Uh, and that's it. All right. 